You're listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast, where it's all about exploring possibilities for making an honest living outside of the traditional nine to five. everyone and welcome to Corporate Quitter. I'm your host, Gabby Ionell. And today's guest, it's really funny. We go way back from when I was at the startup that I worked in in 2017. His name is Yeti Lemmer. He's the founder and CEO of CompuConnect, an IT and security company with a mission to provide white glove, high touch, fast and knowledgeable IT support. He started his own company in 2017, providing businesses in New York City with their technology and cybersecurity needs and has since then grown the business very quickly, despite it being an extremely competitive market. So Yeti, I am so grateful that you're on to share about all the cybersecurity things because I think that's something that people forget and they miss. And in the long run, it could really screw their business. So thank you so much. Hi, Gabby. Thanks for the introduction. It's a great introduction. And I look forward to sharing my story and some tips that can help the audience uh, really enhance, the, you know, step up the security and grow their business. Yeah. So can you share your story then? Like, you know, where did you grow up? What degree did you get? How did you fall into being in corporate and then right being a corporate quitter and now having your own business to vouch for? Sure. Absolutely. So I was uh, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York City, a borough of Brooklyn. I went to school here as well. I got a really early start at work. I actually got my first full-time job at the age of 16 as a network administrator. I got a serious head start at work and my job, my career. I was there for a number of years. When I joined the company, the company had 35 employees. When I left the company, they had about 150 employees in two locations. Now, I'm not taking all that credit. I'm just joking. Uh, I was just doing the IT over there. But uh, they were a watch company. Uh, Nothing to do with uh, IT or anything like that. But they took a gamble. They brought me on. And it paid off for me. It definitely paid off for them, if I have to say so myself. As the company grew... I was growing with their demands and with their needs and, and introduced new technologies and, and, and took advantage of the real real corporate environment. During my time there, I also pursued getting my Microsoft certification. You know, my boss was great and he allowed me to leave work a few hours early, about three times a week, and took a train down to Manhattan. I attended a tech school where I got uh, nine certifications uh, in one calendar year, which is awesome. Uh, if I have to toot my own horn. <laughs> Definitely a great accomplishment for me. My plan was to pursue you know, corporate America, but that never happened in the end. I ended up uh, opening my own company instead. So how did you get that job opportunity at 16? Because that's pretty bold. Like usually at 16, I mean, I remember being at 16, right? Finishing up school, planning my college, like education, like, right? I had like my side job that I was doing, babysitting, whatever. But how did you get that great first start? So it's just right people. I, I've been doing computers for a lot longer than that. Met a bunch of people along the way, and I made friends with this fellow, and he had worked at this company previously, and he made the introduction, and uh, the rest is history. It's so funny how when you talk to people who have started businesses or done these great things, how like, you know, they say the phrase like, your network is your net worth, but I like really swear by it. It really makes a difference who you know. Yeah, sure. For sure. And um, as we go through this podcast, we'll talk about it as well, but how to gain new clients and how to go after that. And that's all about networking. Yeah. So do you, I mean, do you want to get into that? Like when you're first starting a business, how can someone even get clients or promote and advertise their business effectively? Right. Because for you being a service provider, like you need clients, right? You need to service people. You need to either have one-off clients or maybe it's recurring clients. Like how do you even do that? 
So the easiest way to get new clients is going after low-hanging fruit. So you go after your friends, family, close acquaintances, uh, and stuff like that. Between those people, they'll either be somebody that actually needs your service or just here to do you a favor. But definitely it ends up having money in the bank, so you'll be fine. Uh, but low-hanging fruit is definitely the first place to go to attract new customers and, and, and networking. So when you first started working with your friends, family, colleagues, was it really basic stuff like installing software and like, you know, maybe cleaning up a PC that had been infected by a virus and then it evolved to more complex problems or were they always like the same problems to begin with? So early in the day, when I, you know, before I launched my company, when I had a full-time job or even before I had a full-time job, it was just a hobby. I was doing these one-off things for people that had a virus or people that the computer broke or crashed, it doesn't turn back on or they need to replace the screen on a laptop. I would do these these one-off things, but when I launched my company, I knew what type of company I wanted to run and operate. I had a, a business model, I had a business plan, and no, so to answer your question, no, I did, I, I did not do the one-off uh, jobs when I opened my own company. It was, it was real business to business, yeah. So did you know what your plan was going to be and everything when you were still at corporate? Like what was the whole, like starting right with colleagues, those low hanging fruit, then working for corporate, then saying, you know, corporate's not for me and then getting to the business, right? Because there must've been something that happened to not only like move you into the place of wanting to be a business owner, but then also like, how do you even come up with a business plan? Because I feel like that in itself, it's it's an overwhelming task. Right. So my, my journey was actually more like dabbling in computers, doing private work uh, while balancing school at the same time, talking about high school here, <laughs> and then getting my first full-time job. And I was there for seven years. It came to a point where I hit a plateau, and this wasn't in salary. I was, I was compensated very nicely. I was paid very nicely. And I was my own manager. I didn't have a bad manager over me because nobody knew. I was the IT manager. I, nobody knew my job better than myself. I had the boss's confidence and utmost trust in me. It was, it was great. By all definitions, it was great. But it came to a point where I hit a personal plateau where I, I was starting to feel depressed. I hit a brick wall. I was interacting with the same people every day, interacting with the same technology. Uh, as much as the company was uh, forward moving and try to implement as much as they can and whatever I would throw their way, it got to a point where we just don't need this technology or we just don't want to spend this money. So that kind of came to an end for me. I decided for myself that I want to interact with more people. I want to see more businesses. I, I get very intrigued when I see all these different businesses and how people make money. And it's so interesting for me. I love sales because I get to speak and interact with different people. So I, I decided that I want to open my own company. When I did that, I gave my boss four months notice. So I didn't just jump ship and give him two weeks, especially the role I was in. I couldn't do that. And I'm sure many of you listeners probably have the same thing. Uh, your role is not a simple role. Especially if you're considering opening your own company, you're probably not a low-level receptionist uh, somewhere. You probably have a high-ranking job. And leaving those type of jobs, two weeks is usually not enough. So I did. I gave him four months' notice. I gave it for him so we can find a proper replacement. But I also did it for myself so I can start doing planning during that time. Now, when, when people talk about business planning, business planning is a, is a very big word and You'll get different definitions from different people and you'll you go to these big business coaches and they'll send you a 15-page PDF that you have to fill out to build your business plan. That's not the business plan that I did or followed. Now, I'm not saying that they're wrong and I'm right. I'm not saying that in any way. I'm just saying what worked for me and what I did. I, I researched the industry that I was entering, which is an IT and cybersecurity company, to try to learn from other people's previous mistakes. 
so I don't have to recreate the wheel. I don't, I don't want to just jump in, start my own company, and then get burnt, and then pivot and pivot and pivot and pivot. I wanted to try to see what others did and what mistakes they learned along the ways and what I can hopefully avoid. That's really smart, though, because I know a lot of people who, myself included, you try to be so innovative because you don't want to, quote unquote, reinvent the wheel that you end up making more mistakes versus just going with what someone had told you who's doing the thing that you want to do. You know what I mean? It's just it's so interesting. Or even like I know, for example, when you look at like ride sharing companies like Uber was the first one in the game. And then you have places like Lyft or you have the other one, which is like Via. They just basically did the same exact model that Uber did, but without the headaches. Right. They like were able to kind of skirt around it because they took the same model and replicated it. Right. Absolutely. I mean, Uber is like financially the struggling and other things and other companies could be thriving. But no matter how much preparation you'll do. You can never fully prepare for a business. It's just not, you can't do it. It's not practical. And you'll still be making mistakes no matter what. I still make mistakes. Who knows? You know, who, and I'll continue to make mistakes. But at least on the onset, I can try to avoid the obvious mistakes or the, or the big boo-boos. So for me, it was choosing what type of business model. We're talking about business model, but am I going to work with one-off clients? You know, we'll fix them. Something called break-fix where we have a problem, give us a call, we'll fix the problem and... I'll speak to you again in a week, a month, six months, a year, whatever. Or do I want to build deep, meaningful relationships with my clients where we can work with them and be proactive? We can monitor their systems. We can secure their systems and make sure to try to avoid any kind of breach or downtime wherever possible. And that type of relationship or that level of service cannot be done on a one-off basis. That is an ongoing relationship and an ongoing service, uh, which is also billed monthly. And I quickly learned that with the research that I did, that that is the only sustainable model for an IT company. So right away on the onset, when I opened my company, I knew I wanted to do that. I also chose my tools that I want to use. Some of them I've since replaced, but some of them I still use it today. Chose a, a name for my company. I set up the the financial structure for my company. We consulted a an accountant, uh, so we set that up just so I can I can be ready and, and using that time to get myself uh, uh, up and running. I'm glad that you touched on business models, though, because I also went the route of like doing the one offs and it's great. But at the same time, it's terrible because you can't really build a relationship. Again, it's a one off fix. So it's not like you're not really serving their long term problems because there are probably a lot of them. Right. The whole reason why something broke is because something in the whole grand scheme of things isn't working. But was it really hard for you to get those monthly clients, right? Because it's easier to sell someone on like, I'll fix your PC now versus, well, I want to serve you every single month doing all these things and basically have it to convince them of the value of that. Right. So it was definitely very hard. I got a lot of rejection. I got a lot of no's. But like I mentioned earlier, the first thing I did was go after low-hanging fruit. Some of them were favors. Some of them actually needed my service uh, and benefited from it. So that really got me running. In the beginning, I got some cash flow, so it was great. Yeah, it was, it was very difficult. Getting rejected a lot uh, because of this business model. Uh, what we do is sometimes, well, I, I always share my pricing. Whenever I speak to a potential client, we always share our pricing and our pricing model. But it's very difficult for some people to get married on the first date. Like, <laughs> I just met you and now I have to sign a contract. So, well, depending on what the issue is, we'll get them out of their jam but just that once, and we'll bill them for that time. If they come on board as a client, we'll waive that fee. So as kind of a little bit of an incentive or as a thank you. But I do understand that, yes, sometimes some people are hesitant to commit before they know what you're all about, who you are, how you operate. 
Is that one of the many ways you like kind of keep track of your leads and nurture them, right? Starting with the first broken problem and then like continuing like touching base with them, like making sure you can continually serve them. And then once they recognize the value, they'll sign on full time. Is there any other things that you do to nurture and build fine leads essentially? So to keep track of my leads and nurture my leads, I use a CRM. The name of my CRM is, is Infusionsoft. But there's many, many out there, and you have to find the right one that works for you, depending on your needs, depending on your industry, depending on what you want from a CRM. CRMs are extremely, extremely powerful. But as soon as I get a lead, they all go into my CRM. My website is connected to my CRM, so if somebody fills out a web form, they automatically go in there. And that's the main way that I keep track of all my leads and keep up with them. But once we get that first issue resolved, you know, we'll either sign them up as a client or if they're not ready to buy just yet, we'll follow up with them. We're not here to service them because we explained our business model to them, but we'll continue to follow up with them and through various different methods, online uh, marketing, offline marketing, we'll hit them with a campaign every so often. Other than that, as far as marketing efforts, I do use social media. I use LinkedIn. We do uh, email marketing, which is totally, totally, people are email fatigued, so that's not really very effective. But we'll do uh, mailers, like physical mailers as well. Oh, I like that. I feel like it's so, people miss that. I love getting mail now. I feel so special when I get I mail, know, like physical mail. Yeah, it's, it's old fashioned, but very effective. Yeah. You know, it helps because you're a physical service provider, like, right, you only really work with the boroughs, right, New York City and the surrounding area. I'm wondering if there's a way to do that for people who run online businesses, but then it might be weird if you try to ask people for their mailing address. I'm not sure, but. Uh, well, yeah, I guess it really does depend on which business and what area you serve geographically. Yeah, that, that's my that's my deal. I like it though. It's funny how we're going full circle where it was physical mailers, then email, and now it's going back to physical and like those special touches essentially. But I want to kind of switch gears a bit and talk more about IT and cybersecurity, right? Which is your whole jam. So like for new businesses, or I should say even individuals who are listening, what are some of the IT or cybersecurity mistakes the new business owners make? Right. So what I see happening a lot by brand new companies is that they typically start off with one person and he has he or she has the files stored on their computer and they're, they're using, and all of a sudden now they need to do, share a file with either a freelancer or another employee or a client. So they go, they sign up for Dropbox and then they need to they need another service. So they'll sign up for another account and then they get another computer, right? Uh, they'll have a computer at home. They have a computer in the office and some files are stored in the office. Some files are stored at home and everything's a complete mess. But it's a controlled chaos because they know where everything is. So it's just a minor inconvenience. The big problem happens when they make their first hire. And all of a sudden, you got to start sharing all that, all those files and all that data with that new employee. And everything is everywhere. And it's just not scalable. So that, that's one big thing is the lack of organization and lack of using the proper tools. And I'm happy to give you some ideas and share some things that you can do. Again, it really does depend on, on the business and, and your specific needs, but in a general overview, I can give you some, some general guidance. What uh, what specifically when you talk about file sharing that you would recommend? Like, it's interesting you had touched on one thing of like, we all have heard of the idea of like backing up our files, right? When you have it on a physical computer, but I didn't realize until you, like you, we had talked that you actually have to back up your files in the cloud too, which is mind blowing because they never thought about that. Yeah, absolutely. So an, a big misconception or a myth of people believe that as long as their files are in the cloud, they're safe. Uh, that's actually not true. If you read the terms and agreements, 
nobody guarantees your data and hacks happen, you know, breaches happen all the time. If it's your fault, and I'll cover that in a second, or if it's the service provider's fault, uh, we, you can read the news and you hear all these uh, high profile hacks happening very often, unfortunately, and your data could be at risk. Uh, and nobody's guaranteeing you. No, you know, Dropbox does have a feature of versioning, so does Google Drive, but it's not a true backup. So if something were to happen, uh, even if, if your computer got compromised and because you're connected to your Dropbox account and, and everything is synced, all that stuff can get encrypted and, and you can be held ransom and you have no backup. So backup on your cloud services is definitely extremely important. There is a, a provider that does this for you guys. It's called cloudally.com. And you can sign up for those cloud backups to keep you safe. That's one thing. The second big security mistake that I see a lot of people make is when it comes to passwords. People typically have three to four passwords that they use everywhere. They have one very secure password that they use for their banks. And they have another a secure password, but less secure. Well, they'll use it for their favorite shopping sites like Amazon, Walmart, and then wherever, wherever else. And then they have a, a garbage password where... If they visit a website and they're forced to create an account, they'll just use that, that password. Uh, so that you can sum it up to three or four passwords that's used. And the problem is that because these hacks are happening like crazy, when a website gets hacked, the hackers then gain access to the entire database cache of all those username and passwords. The usernames usually being your email address. And they go and they dump all that data on the dark web. The dark web is, is a marketplace for criminals. I'm not going to tell you what you can buy there. I'm not going to give you any ideas. <laughs> really messed up stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not cool. But one of the many things available on the dark web is credentials, using sets of usernames and passwords. And the hackers will then gain access to those username and passwords, and they'll try to gain entry wherever they possibly can using this combination. So, I mean, how many of you out there listening, I'm, I'm sure this, you've experienced this, Again, many times, but definitely a few times, where you'll get a spam email from a family member or a friend or a colleague, and then a few hours later, you'll get a follow-up email saying, don't click it, don't click it, it was a virus, it was a virus, my, my account got hacked. Now, I can assure you that Google did not get hacked, uh, and that's not how the hackers gained access to their Gmail account. The hackers gained access to their Gmail account because they walked in from the front door using the correct username and password. And the way they got the correct username and password is because it was reused so many times in so many different places. And one of these places got hacked and that ended up on the dark web. My recommendation is to use a password manager. And there are many of them out there. My favorite is, is LastPass or Bitwarden. They both have free accounts and paid accounts. It's up to you, depending on the functionality that you want to gain from it. But on a basic level, those password managers can create secure generated random passwords for you. They get stored in the password manager so you don't have to remember them ever. Whenever you revisit the website from your computer, those password managers will automatically fill in your username and password. So you, you gain a few things. Number one is you have secure passwords. No two websites have the same passwords. The passwords are all saved in one convenient place and you don't have to remember any of them. I know that you may think that you know I'm a geek and paranoid and, uh, and, and it's very simple for me, but I can assure you I've trained my clients and regular people are using it and loving it and implementing it with a tiny bit of training. Yeah. You know, as we see every single day or if not every week, I get emails from these major companies, like major companies who you would think would have their IT stuff in check who are getting hacked on the daily. So the more that 
you know, these cyber security attacks continue, the more we're at risk. And that could really be the thing that like kind of screws your business in a sense or even your personal life. So it doesn't hurt to be safe, you know? Yeah, if you're curious to know if your information is on the dark web, well, we'll post a link to this um, in the comments, but I'll give it to you verbally. There's a website called haveibeenpwned.com, P-W-N-E-D. And you can enter your email address there, and that's going to search the dark web database to let you know whether or not your email account was associated in any breach. Facebook was one of the most recent breaches that happened uh, not too long ago. What are some of the other ways in which we can use secure passwords? Like, for example, I know a lot of people who use, like, I think it's like the Google or the Chrome keychain, or like it saves your passwords in your browser. Is that another secure method to use or no? My professional opinion and my experience, I'm going to say that it's it's not safe to save your passwords inside your browser. Why is that? Just out of curiosity. Okay, so as a cybersecurity company, we have built a number of tools that we use to do penetration testing on our clients and on ourselves. You know, and we have a third-party cybersecurity company that audits us to make sure that my company, it's an extra pair of eyes to make sure that we are secure. The reason for that is it's like you go to your accountant and the, the accountant files your taxes and then you come back to the same accountant and you ask the accountant, hey, can you audit my taxes to make sure that everything is good? The chances of him finding something wrong is slim to none because he... That was the person that filed your taxes. But if you ask a third party, can you order my taxes? You know, chances of them finding something that's off or not right is very high. So we have a, we are an IT and cybersecurity company. We have a third party cybersecurity company that audits us. Now, when we went through that audit, they ran a tool on our computers. And that tool required no administrative privileges, meaning that we clicked the link and that tool just ran on the computer without any kind of rights or permission granted. One of the many things that tool did was crack the passwords that were stored inside the browser. Now, they were not able to touch any of the passwords that were in LastPass, but they were able to crack and view the passwords that were inside the browser. And for that reason, it's not secure. Got it. Okay, so I'm not going to be doing that anymore. I have a lot to work on. Like, so what can people do to avoid getting hacked other than change their password? Is there like any other things that they should do? Is it that they set up a structure or an environment that's more safe, right? Does that look like going to cloud sharing instead of saving data locally? Like what seems to be maybe a couple of things that people can do in addition? So the first thing you want to do, which is free and it should be included with every single account that you have, you want to enable two-factor authentication. Two-factor authentication means that the first factor is something you know, the second factor is something you have, and the third factor is something you are. So something you know is a username and password. Something you have is typically your cell phone. Two people cannot have your cell phone at the same time. And something you are could be a fingerprint or a retina scan, which we're not there yet, but the way cybersecurity is going, it may be required. So, uh, But the, right now, everybody is offering two-factor authentication, everywhere from banks all the way down to, I know Amazon is, is doing it now. Amazon is making you verify your logins when a new device tries logging in. Two-factor authentication, definitely a must. Backups, also a must. Saving stuff locally is not really a risk, cybersecurity risk, other than if your computer dies or gets infected, then you could lose those files. So, yeah, I would stick to some cloud uh, file platform. Cool. I actually 
forgot about the two-factor authentication. I remember doing it at work all the time and it giving me such a headache and right, you have to keep doing it and doing it and doing it. But I understand that it's important to do that because then you just have anyone, like you said, going through the dark web, plugging in information and getting access to those important documents. Yeah, I mean, I would if, if you want to kind of put stuff in order of implementation, I would tell you to implement two-factor authentication before you start using the password generator and, and that stuff. That's far more important. Yeah. What about like phishing? So I remember when I was in corporate, they always made us do like these phishing type of attempt trainings of sort, and they would send out fake emails to kind of scam us. What are some things that people should do with phishing emails? Like, do they just delete it? Do they report it? Do they just leave it in their inbox? Like, what do you do with something like that? So depending on what uh, email client or email system you use, you may not have the ability to report it. I mean, if you use Gmail or Google services, you could report it. But a phishing email alone, untouched, is not dangerous. It's what you do with it afterwards that starts becoming dangerous. So you want to definitely educate yourself on how to detect a phishing email and how to see it. You want to look at the, the sender or who sent that email to make sure it really, that the sending domain makes sense with the company. Sometimes it does get tricky, so you can always Google it to get some more information. But you want to look at, you want to hover over the links before you click on them to make sure that they're actually going to the right place. So, for example, if it's a PayPal email or an Amazon email, and there's a big button that says, you know, log in here or confirm your password or whatever it is, before clicking on that, you want to hover your mouse over those buttons that have you go to the next step and confirm that it's actually going to paypal.com or amazon.com or whatever it is. Other than that, if you detected a phishing email, just delete it, ignore it, and move on. Yeah, it seems so simple, but sometimes or I'm finding that they're getting better and better. So like usually the phishing emails had typical like grammar issues or stuff like that, but I'm starting to witness that they're becoming a lot better. So it's becoming, you know, um, harder to skate around those things. For sure. But, you know, as you grow your business and you hire more people, you know, you may be educated, but your colleagues may not be. And that's where you want to leverage some of the services that we offer. Namely, you know, one of them is testing your staff, educating your staff, as well as a proper email security filter that will stop most of those in its tracks. I mean, nothing can stop everything, but it does do a very, very solid job uh, of stopping a very high percentage. I would confidently say in the high 90%. So what about freelancers? So we talk a lot about, you know, when you hire your first staff member, you have to worry about like giving them sensitive information and whatnot. But I feel like at freelancers, it's a little more of a gamble, right? Because you're not hiring them other than like a one-off task or gig work, right? They have no obligation to really protect your business. They're just doing what they need to do. So for example, if you hire a virtual assistant who may have access to your passwords or certain accounts, what are some foolproof ways that you can put in maybe certain restrictions or is it just when, let's say, we let that virtual assistant go or that time with that freelancer is over, do you just change your passwords or is it just a matter of not even having them get access to those things? Hmm. That's a tough question. That's a really tough question. It's a good one. There's a few different ways to go about this. And, and again, this goes back to your specific company and the different tool sets that you use and the different softwares and platforms that you use. But generally, the newer softwares or any kind of more advanced software or definitely software that contains or houses important information or or financial information will definitely have the ability of giving different users different rights and different permissions. Definitely something you want to do rather than just creating a new account and 
just check the top box, select all, include everything, just, just get them working. I trust everybody. You want to be selective of what kind of permission you want to give them. Don't give them too much. But you mentioned a personal assistant. So a personal assistant is probably going to have to have the same permissions you have. One of the, one of the ways you can grant people access to accounts without actually giving them the password is using a password manager like LastPass, where you can share a password with somebody else, with another LastPass user, but not give them the ability to view the password. Oh, interesting. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, LastPass can inject the password in the website directly, but not give the, it's going to be start out. The user won't have the ability to read a password. So that's an idea that you can use to hire freelancers, but not give them access, not give them the password. So let's say you finish working with them. You can essentially cut off that tie to their LastPass account so they can't access your stuff anymore. Yes. Oh, I didn't know. That's really cool, actually. I really like that. I have, now I really have to do it. <laughs> yeah, I don't work for LastPass, but I happen to use them and I like them. So I'm going to just share whatever I know about it. Yeah. Talk about affiliate marketing. Got to get on that, Yiddy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's that's a great that's a great suggestion. I really like that. I have to implement it. Yeah, in general, you want to make sure to, to kind of do your best job in vetting those freelancers before you do anything. But sometimes you don't have a choice. Yeah. I try to do the three-month rule. So you have them just continually give them work over three months, see how it goes. And then if they deem themselves as trusty or you know they're doing the job correctly, then you can give them more things. But yeah, when it's a personal assistant, you kind of have to give them a lot. So <laughs> I guess live and learn and try to do your best or consult with an expert like you to figure out how to do it correctly. Sure. Yeah. So one of the things that I do with all my guests as we wrap up the show is I like to ask one final question, which is if you could give advice to your younger self, what would that be? Hmm. So my younger self, I mean, I, I did get a very early start. I still consider myself young. I am still young. Uh, so my younger self would be really young. But if I had to give my younger self advice would be to to do this one thing sooner. I mean, right now I'm part of a, a peer group with other business owners and we have a coach. We're in a uh, other other IT business owners as well. So we're able to, it's not just regular business owners, it's actual IT and, and cybersecurity companies. So we have the same problems, we have the same goals, and our coach is also a, a business owner of an IT company. So I would join an association, a group, something like that sooner to be part of a community, to learn and grow and share with others and learn from others. That would have propelled my, my growth in business for sure. Yeah, less trial by fire and more like shortcuts, if you will, right? Learning from the experts. Yeah, yeah. So can you let everyone know where they can connect with you? I know you have a special, you know, exclusive offer for the Corporate Quitter listeners. So can you share that? Yeah. So uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Yiddy Lemmer. Offer, or you can give us a call in the office uh, and we'll post all of my contact information uh, in the comments. But I do have a special offer to the listeners of Corporate Quitter. I, I created a landing page so you guys can go to, to that website and uh, submit your information and we'll reach out to you. But this offer is a penetration test on your network. It's a penetration test that will give you your current security posture to find out exactly how secure you are and how protected you are um, against a cyber threat should something happen to your environment. This is it's usually about $1,000. This is how much we charge, but we'll give it to you guys for free uh, as a corporate quitter listener. I appreciate that. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to be surprised to find out that their environments are absolutely terrible. So I appreciate it. Definitely very eye-opening. It's an amazing report. It's no commitment uh, on your end. You can take the report. You can take it back to your current uh, IT vendor and have them 
correct whatever we found or you can give us an opportunity to earn your business, whichever one, uh, without a post to that. Of course not. <laughs> the, the link to that, we'll post that in the comments as well, but I'll give it to you verbally. It's compuconnect.it slash cyber dash threat dash assessment. Yeah, so it's compuconnect.it slash cyber dash threat dash assessment. Yeah, guys, this will be on the Corporate Quarter website, so you can check it out if you want a quick link there or to get just basically all of Yeti's contact information. So you can just go there if it's easier. Okay, thank you so much. Of course, my pleasure. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Corporate Quitter podcast. Visit corporatequitter.com for resources, extended content, and additional information about our guests. To connect with us, stay up to date on all things Corporate Quitter, and to learn more about how you can leave the nine to five, follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys.